0: Like, you can actually connect the product terms and world into the business. Like, you have instant credibility, and then, okay, I get it now. I get it now. And then, things it's easy to actually move from there.
1: Creating great products isn't just about product managers and their day to day interactions with developers, it's about how an organization supports products as a whole the systems, the processes, and cultures in place that help companies deliver value to their customers. With the help of some boundary-pushing guests and inspiration from your most pressing product questions, we'll dive into this system from every angle and help you think like a great product leader. This is the Product Thinking Podcast. Here's your host, Melissa Perry. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Product Thinking Podcast. Today, we're talking all about product transformations and developing a high-performance product team in large organizations, especially ones going through a transformation. And I'm joined by Deba Sahu, who is the SVP of Product and the Head of Products, B2B Products, of Fidelity Investments. Welcome, Deba.
0: Hey, Melissa, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so glad to be part of a podcast and sharing kind of my journey, my expertise and thoughts with the audience here.
1: Well, I'm really glad to have you here too. And I think the topic that we're going to talk about is really important because I know a lot of large companies out there, especially, can we call it like software-enabled companies instead of pure SaaS companies? They're trying to figure out how to set up product organizations, go through this transformation as well. And I know you have led a really successful one, so I'm excited to hear about your stories. But for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into product management?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I would say, uh, you know, looking back, I have a long career. If I kind of break my career into different phases, because as you know, product management was not a thing. Uh, maybe 10 years ago or 20 years ago when I started. So the first phase of my career was in tech and software engineering. So I actually spent five years in large companies, startups uh, in both India and California in building fintech financial services solutions. Uh, I have played kind of a developer myself, an architect, manager, all roles within tech. At that time, that was two thousand two to seven. There was no agile. There was no product management. Uh, I think all those things were new. But I, I would say my tech background has been a solid foundation uh, to really kind of drive product management as you know my current role. After that kind of phase one, I would say I spent I went to business school, uh, Chicago Boot School of Business. Uh, then did few years in strategy and corporate development roles, both at Dell and Fidelity. So I would say phase two of my career was in business, uh, school, strategy, much more general management kind of roles. And then I really wanted to, uh, I was kind of itching for building. I think my engineer in me was kind of always craving for building things and running things. And I wanted to come a little more close to the tech side. So I actually made a choice to really, eight years ago, to really be very, very focused on product management and product leadership. So four four years after that, I, I led, I would say, product teams, both as product manager and product leader. And then around four or five years ago in my current journey, I am leading. I was tasked to lead a large product org from scratch, kind of set up from scratch. And I, I had the opportunity to really drive and build a true kind of much more real product organization. And then that has been grown tremendously over the last four or five years. We have a very large product team now that includes all of your traditional product leaders, managers, engineers, and, and a lot of other roles focused on enterprise and B2B products within uh, Fidelity Investments. So that's how I, I kind of ended up with product.
1: Great. You just recently led a great product transformation within your business as well. A lot of companies are struggling with this or getting started today. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what did things look like when you came in and what you, when you realized, oh, we need to totally shift our mentality and what you did to get started there?
0: Yeah, so I would say when I started uh, kind of a much more senior executive-level transformation journey uh, with the right control and focus around four years ago, four or five years ago, I fortunately had a clean slate that I was told, okay, we will create this arm from scratch. Now, we we did have people who were playing those roles, but we were just going through a massive transformation where we said we're just going to start from scratch. Now, I think uh, when I kind of started to really drive that uh, my kind of initial few things I observed were really, we had engineers we had folks, but they're very reactive uh, much more in a supporting role taking directions from sales or operations or other groups because I was in the b two b space heavy kind of sales and service kind of functions we had too so I think uh, that was kind of the genesis of history, and we didn't really have a b two b product team per se, and my goal was to kind of how to really set that up from scratch right so few things I focused on, it was very clear to me initially that I need to bring not just kind of an agile transformation, but truly be focused on how to have transformation, how to kind of operate in that way. And I think that I had a like few components in mind. One, talent. Actually, it was very clear that I need to, over a period of time, bring the right talent, groom them the right way, and create the right structure and processes for, for talent acquisition, retention, and development perspective. I think that was an important piece we can get into. It's, it's very critical. Second, uh, more I've called the stakeholder relationship management and kind of making sure that the broader ecosystem of folks truly really understood and have the trust and credibility with them, really kind of thinking about product taking a lot of ownership of what other people used to do before. And then thinking more of a proactive way of thinking about our customers, our businesses, our needs, and how to actually start driving that. That was the second aspect. I think third was definitely more the structure and the process and the routines, whether it is agile, whether it is the right reviews, the right instrumentation and the measurements and the tools and metrics and those kind of things. I think those three were critical elements in my view that kind of shaped how we focused on all three because my goal was not to build amazing products. But also to create like a really strong product organization that could be uh, self-sustaining and grow and scale over time.
1: Yeah. What was the impetus to start this product organization? So you said you came in and you had like a clean slate to go after it. You know what was the business or you know the company trying to get out of doing a product transformation and not just an agile transformation? Yeah. I
0: would. Say, yeah. I would say I think the agile transformation was definitely kind of enterprise focused at that time. I think product transformation is something I would say it was probably more my focus to ensure that I created the right structure. Because I, I fundamentally believed being a product manager myself prior to that, I kind of believed that we need to really think about product in that way. Because in my portfolio of products, I actually have like financial products that are actually selling financial offerings to our customers. Uh, we have I have data and AI products. I have platform products and digital experience products. Some are actually zero to one, some are one to 100, some are like mature products. So you kind of have to treat them differently and operate them differently. So so my focus was to really do that. Now, particularly in this particular space, we didn't really have a strong B2B product team. And for business reasons, we didn't invest in that particular way. And we wanted to really invest heavily in our B2B space. So that was the genesis of focusing on creating a new team in the B two B space, but but the genesis of driving kind of product mindset really was me thinking through. Without that, we will be not as effective. And I also had, I thought opportunity to really kind of share that and how we do that as a best practice team across a company. And I could talk about like how that has really shaped and helped It kind of now we're actually much more mature, not just within my team, but actually across the board. Really thinking about product mindset and product management, and how do we uh, do this across all the three things talent, the routines, and the processes, but also building that products.
1: I think it's so important the things that you're getting at right now, too. Like, you championed this transformation. Like, this was you leading it, you saying, Hey, we need this. We can't just stop at Agile. We also need this. What types of tactics did you use, or could you advise others who might be in the same position as you to convince, like, the rest of the organization or the rest of the executive team, like this is how my team works. I see like a lot of people waiting for permission, right? Like, oh, I have to wait for my CEO to say, oh, go build a product organization, and then I'll go do it. But you know, how did you approach that? What do, what did you do differently?
0: Uh, yeah, no, great question. So I would say, I think a few things. And uh, in my discussion today, like we'll talk about this team, like there are two or three things that I kind of focused on. One, uh, to do any kind of transformation you really have to operate from a place of trust and credibility that I actually build enough trust and credibility with the stakeholders and leaders that actually I have the authority and the influence to actually drive it. So that was something I didn't start to kind of come in and put my ideas on paper and push people around and that's not going to work. So I kind of built trust and credibility over a year or so in multiple things, in managing my stakeholders, actually delivering wins, that actually makes it easier for people to actually trust. And then slowly, slowly you can actually get in that particular journey. So that's why. Second, you know, any large company is a large company. You generally leader, you still have a limited kind of influence area. So my focus was how do I do this within my own organization as well as in tangential or peripheral teams where I have the right best influence, let's say kind of my peer teams, and not try to kind of really change the entire organization at the once because I don't have the control and authority. So my focus was to kind of really focus on areas where I have control and influence. And, and third thing is like kind of slowly, slowly building it in a way that once I believe that I, I show uh, the benefits of doing this particular way, it will be easier for people to see. And then we will become kind of the model team across the company and people will come to say, Hey, okay, how are you doing this? Let's try to then replicate somewhere else. And then you become the champion and you're going to, this is a kind of a positive cycle that actually starts from there. Then actually it's easier to actually go from there and start to scale the same things that you've been doing. Because if you do something on a larger scale, there's always risk and concerns and things. But if you're doing this within within a particular area where you have a trusted leader, it's much easier, actually, for people to kind of wrap their heads around say, let's do this there. And then over time, we'll expand and scale as things kind of progress.
1: I like that. It's like you start with your own stuff instead of yelling at everybody else that they need to change and then not do anything within your own control. So demonstrate <laughs> it, walk the walk. Really key. I think good, good lessons for people out there. So you mentioned that you did three key things to really start this transformation and focus it. And one of them is on the teams. And I'm really curious because I've worked with a lot of large companies doing transfer, uh, transformations. And a lot of them didn't have product managers before. So they took a lot of subject matter experts, and we trained them up. And there's some mixed success on whether they can perform or not. Some of the teams get really good at executing on certain stuff, but they're, they're kind of lacking, I think, some of that higher level product thinking uh, to bring the strategies together to really execute on those products. How did you approach the team building aspect and, you know, making great product managers uh, who reported up to you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I would say I think it was a kind of a balanced approach and and building uh, kind of a slow, long game to do that. So I would say initially when you're going through a major change, it was important to make sure that we have enough people kind of who have the expertise and knowledge of how we have been doing things, and then balancing them with people who I believed are true product managers who have the right aptitude and skill set. And then over time, uh, as people leave, roles open up, things grow, then I have the ability to actually hire you know much more folk, people who are truly skilled as PMs. So it was kind of a balanced view that initially it was, let's say, 50 50 or mix of these two kind of leaders. And then over time, we kind of know uh, who operates well, who doesn't operate well. And in fact, people who have transitioned into PM roles generally a better idea after a couple of years how they are doing, how you know, are they interested in the role, are the best fit, and who else? So so it was kind of a slow kind of view into this, but I had a balanced view. And in that way, I also included people from outside of Fidelity who are coming from outside. But I've had a lot of success, actually, uh, hiring people within the company who are not necessarily in PM roles. But I thought they had really strong aptitude and attitude and skills. To groom them into that role. I have actually, I have found that uh, those kind of people have been the most successful people in my team and more broadly. So I'll I'll give you examples. So people, some of them actually came from customer service, like people who have been in the customer service and customer facing roles. They really enjoyed that aspect. They understood that. Now uh, I could see they were very energized by working with the product teams. And they are the ones who will jump into prioritizing calls. They will say this is priority one, two, three, and they're very comfortable. And those are the people like I built a pipeline of people like that and they saw interest. And over time, it was very clear they they are they're the right fit. And if they're interested, they could come into kind of my team or as a PM role. I've seen people from engineering, some of them who have that kind of aptitude and interest of joining customer calls, getting energized by the business side of other things. And so they want to be PMs. And I've seen them, uh, once they understood what they've done and what they're interested in, they they have come in and become very, very strong PMs. Especially I've seen them play heavy, strong roles in platform PM kind of roles, where little technical, they come in, actually become great platform PMs. And I would say I've also seen people from strategy backgrounds or those kind of backgrounds. They have come in, especially who is willing to focus on execution, on getting to know the details and understand how to do things. And they already have the strategy toolkit. They understand how to think big picture and and those kind of aspects. So I've seen those three players and because they come from internally like they already know the domain and the culture and the team. So so it's easy for them to kind of grasp those things. And then I could actually help and train and groom them. Now, over time, we have had many people who have gone through this and become extremely successful leaders. And then, so now there's more bench strength to actually train people and you bring someone else, so you have to compare them with somebody else who's already skilled. So I think over time, it's a kind of a structure that I've worked out. But I would say, no matter what from where they came from, uh, there are some common traits that I find that generally leads to really good PMs and PM leaders. One, you are comfortable with ambiguity and, and solving problems in the ambiguous space where there are a lot of different inputs, a lot of different variables. Like it's that's like important. Uh, second, people who know how to get stuff done. Like like you got to get stuff done and there are some people who just have the agency and who have the ability to kind of figure something out and get stuff done. I think I look for those people. It's very clear if they, they can not get stuff done very hard to succeed as a PM. Third, I would say uh, just communication and stakeholder management skills. And that's something I look for uh, when we bring people like how, how well the person is communicating. Can the person bring people together? I think these three are like common skills I've seen. Now, On top of that, I think depending upon specific roles, we do sometimes need people with some expertise or experience in a particular space. But I think these are common traits I've seen. And then I do, uh, I would say beyond hiring, I think we have also focused, I personally focused a ton on um, just how do we, once you bring somebody in, like how do you actually groom and develop both as an individual, but also as a group uh, that product management skill sets. I'll tell you a story, if that's okay. Uh, On one one thing I did that I feel like has worked extremely well. So initially, uh, when I started uh, the journey, it was very clear, we need to uh, upscale our folks and really think about uh, teaching product management and, and the theory and practice of doing everything. Obviously, there are a lot of different resources available, but they're more theoretical. As you know, product management is very... Simple in concept, like you only have a few things to learn, but it's very very hard in practice. So, so focusing more on applied aspects of product management. So, I started something I call Product School within our business unit. Actually, started during COVID, and uh, I basically said, I need to teach, and I will let me start this, and we started, I started like a monthly class to teach product management. I created a curriculum that had like all the typical features, like okay, PM 101, PM for B2B versus B2C, product market fit, and a lot of different things that normally you'll teach. And I I basically said, I I will teach like an applied version of it, not the theory. We'll actually take the theory and use real use cases from our own business and teach people how to apply those things. And I I basically said, let's do that. I invited every PM engineer, architecture designer, anybody who is interested to come in. And the... first session was just pm one one, just basics the audience response and the attendance was too much it just got a lot of interest people just came like they were like kind of craving for this kind of stuff and i said okay that's great so i did one more session next month that worked very well and then i said okay let's just do this like a full year-long curriculum and then I actually crowdsourced uh to some of my peers who I thought were experts in certain particular areas, like product market fit, I could bring somebody else who could actually do that because I couldn't just do myself all the time. So after a year, it was so successful across the board, then that got attention from our HR team, from our learning and development team, saying, hey, how do we actually turn this into a scalable program and structure we could actually use? So then I kind of of left kind of my running this versus uh, being a sponsor. And working with our HR and learning and development team to actually create a very formal structure that we call product academy. We now actually have that at the enterprise level. We use that to train all of our new product managers across all across everywhere. And we have run this successfully for multiple times now. It's a great program. And now we're doing something similar for product leaders and others. So so like I think I've seen again, you don't have to wait for it. Like you just if you have expertise, just jump in and then over time you can actually see
1: did you know I have a course for product managers that you could take? It's called Product Institute. Over the past seven years, I've been working with individuals, teams, and companies to upscale their product chops through my fully online school. We have an ever-growing list of courses to help you work through your current product dilemma. Visit productinstitute.com and learn to think like a great product manager. Use code THINKING to save $200 at checkout on our premier course, Product Management Foundations a lot of people will notice. Yeah, that's a great like, example of a ground roots movement right there. You just started with your team and it kept expanding and expanding. You didn't need to like go, hey, we need to do this everywhere. When um, you invited... So something that I really love that you said is you invited the engineers and the designers and anybody who wanted to come to it. What did you experience after they came to? Like, how did that shift their mindset about product?
0: I think, you know, You know, as with any kind of transformation, um, it, it takes time to kind of go through that. But first, a uh, few things. One, they uh, many of them actually truly understood and appreciated actually what it takes to be a PM. Uh, right, Sometimes you may have, especially on the engineering side, like, okay, you may not have appreciation for a PM role, uh, and you're saying somebody's going to give me requirements and tell me what to build, but like, okay, that's all there. But like, you really understand the art and craft of how to be a good pm and they will see a great pm is so much better in terms of working like they will see in this team there's a very strong pm and and in, in some other team there's not a very good pm and there's a hell and heaven difference in how those teams operate in you know not also from a technical side like how they actually interact with the building how they are solving so it's a, it's a whole different game so i think they understand and appreciate it and in many cases they actually want to be like I think the key is like, they want to be a partner in all this kind of dialogue and discussion. It's just that we have to engage them in the right way. So, like, I strongly believe that as a product leader or a PM, you kind of have to treat your engineering partner or design partner in, in a very equal footing in terms of making sure that they're involved in the earlier stage of the product. Either visiting strategy as well as customer, like you're going kind to of bring them along and make them a big part of it. Actually, I normally make them accountable. Like my engineering partner, I want to make them accountable for delivery and the technical aspect as much well as I'm accountable for the overall product piece. Same thing is true for design. And I think this kind of experience of doing this together actually brings, in my view, strong product teams and the right structure and process because we. We all kind of understand each other's way of working and where we have pain points and and, uh, preferences.
1: Yeah, I think that's so important. Facilitation is a skill I see as a fundamental difference between good and great product managers, yet it's often overlooked. Great product managers focus on guiding clear conversations and steering stakeholders to the best outcomes. You can develop these facilitation superpowers in Voltage Control's Facilitation Certification Program. Ready to unlock your greatness? Apply today at voltagecontrol.com/product. Did you know I have a course for product managers that you could take? It's called Product Institute. Over the past seven years, I've been working with individuals, teams, and companies to upskill their product chops through my fully online school. We have an ever-growing list of courses to help you work through your current product dilemma. Visit productinstitute.com and learn to think like a great product manager. Use code THINKING to save $200 at checkout on our premier course, Product Management Foundations. So we've got people going through the Product Academy. We've got some of these people who have never done product management before. You mentioned now we've got a good structure with a lot of experienced people to train them. But what did you do at the beginning to make sure that those people had people to learn from, right? So before you had all the experienced people in the organization, what types of things did you do to ensure these people transitioning from other areas had that support?
0: Yeah, no, it, uh, it's a great question. I would say initially, uh, I, started, like, I started this my org from scratch. So initially, probably a lot was me. But also... Um, I would say creating the right structure. I didn't really push for initially in the first year. I didn't really push for let's be a amazing part organization. I think it's not so much on that. Let's kind of build the right products, like just kind of getting the right things done. As long as you're building the right things for the right reasons, for the right customers, I think the art and crap will come. So I think first year, my focus was not so much on teaching. Okay. So how do we be a great PM? It was more. Okay. Are we focused on building the right things? Why are we building the right things? Uh, What problem are we solving for? What is the benefit of solving for those things? And then how do we get started? What is our MVP? What do we launch? How do we iterate? So it was more on those things versus trying to be kind of throw a lot of words on purpose. And then slowly over time, we kind of did all that. To really get into the habit of thinking about product market fit and doing the discovery and launching something and learning before we scale it. I think that was a concept I was very, very earlier focused on. Uh, versus trying from a top down way of creating a plan for three years without really understanding what how and where we'll actually test and get adoption before we get there, that was something I was very much focused on. I would say that actually caught attention of some of our senior leaders very well because I think some some leaders are this is difficult for them to kind of understand like hey, give me a five year plan and details everything, but one of our kind of presidents and leaders like he totally got it he was like okay you don't know what you don't know you don't know so let's kind of make sure that we know how we're solving or what we are solving before we actually go invest in scale because that way it limits my risk of investing a pretty lot of dollars in something that turns out to be not so much of needed and it allows kind of to see and before we scale so that was a very consistent theme that resonated very, very well. And I kind of practiced for every single time. Like, okay, so we will launch something. We're building something new. People are willing to invest lots of money at, at once. Let's just kind of focus on particular areas based on feedback from customers and what we believe on and test that and then learn. And that concept, we did that like for every single product, like three, four, five products. And, and we'll do that. And we'll have a very consistent kind of framework and i can kind of go and show that, hey, we have a cheaper market fit. Now let's invest for scaling, like that's like yes, we'll invest in scale. Here's the funding. Let's invest in scale. So like that kind of concept, and then I would say very tactically, I will start to use and use very specific words in these meetings. I will basically say by following these kind of uh, basic and and strong product management concept, this is how we're doing it. I'll actually teach those things like hey, which didn't come up with doing this just, just because I thought it would be a nice thing to do. Like we actually followed a particular practice and framework. And I will say, we achieve our market fit. Do we all believe in that? Now let's scale. We all believe in that. The same thing. I'll use the product terms in a very deliberate way. In these kind of leadership sessions, some people don't really get it because you know it's like this is not a function that we have been operating in for a long period of time. So you're gonna to have to really teach and in a tactical as a strategic way of how to kind of think about this. And, and so like now we are very, very fo- focused on uh, actually teaching and training our leaders in how to be thinking in this particular way. And you know, I know you're obviously coming to one of our uh, summits next month. I think that's one, one part of it. Uh, but like, how do we actually really teach our leaders uh, to be uh, really thinking very, very uh, hard about product management and how to kind of think in that particular way?
1: Yeah, I think that's so important for a lot of companies. And that's that's also where I feel like there's a lot of friction sometimes for people who are champions like yourself. And then they're they're getting pushback from other leaders because they're like, can't you just release it? (laughs) We just want things. Don't don't tell me about all this discovery and stuff. So what have you found? So you taught a lot of people about the language, you define terms, you put it into a context of why would we invest if we don't know what to do? What have you found like resonates well as a message? And what have you found to stay away from because people, the other leaders are like, I don't care about that, just give me what I want. Like, what what doesn't work when you're communicating with leaders about what you're going through in the transformation?
0: Yeah, no, great question. So, I would say, I think fundamentally, if you think about it, I think it's true for any kind of company. Like, almost all of the leaders we have, they are primarily business leaders, and they most of them have grown, or grown up in business roles, whether sales, operations, or finance, or technology, or some other role. It's like product is a new thing, right? So, so I think as long as we talk in the language of business, everything else is becomes actually start to work. Like so if you start talk about product management or agile and you're like, okay, so that's kind of nice. Like tell me what actually mean for our business. Okay. So it's, it's all I'll give you an example. Like I lead up about B2B products where we have mega large customers and they have demands. Say, can you build it just for myself? And it's a very common thing. Every day, we uh, request, "Can we just build this for one client?" No, we, we can't do that. Right? But then if you do that in a way that we say, "Hey, we will build a, not a feature for one particular client, but we will actually build a product or something that we can actually scale for multiple clients, but we will use one initial client as an initial use case and a client, but our goal is to build it. And then uh, I kind of show that to your leadership. And, and from that perspective, say, if you build this in this way, then you can roll this out to not one client, to 10 clients, to 100 clients. The return on investment is going to be significantly high because you're building once. And you're building it in a way which you scale. Okay, you don't have to actually rebuild again just because some other client requests it. Okay, so, so that resonates. Like, okay, so now we're actually building a product, not actually satisfying a customer's request. right? So like just kind of a little bit of nuanced... View of that is important, and the same thing is true for any, even for internal tools and all. It's, it's important to actually show what problem it's solving, either for customers or for business, and ideally for both. And if we do not focus on forgetting about any terminology, and all, like it just becomes hard. I think the terminology comes in play a little later, in my view, versus starting from there, unless unless you have like an enterpriseable mandate to go there. But like I think. Focusing on the right outcomes for the business and the customers—that's everybody understand. Whether their product or not, that resonates everybody well with pretty much everybody.
1: So the outcomes that we're talking about too—it's it's making me think of another question I want to get your opinion on. A lot of product managers, especially on the team level, have a really hard time connecting what they're working on, especially in large organizations, right, back up to the business because. In organizations like such as yours and other ones, you can have like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of teams, right? So by the time you get to what a team is working on, it might feel slightly insignificant to them. But I, I feel like they they have a hard time communicating how all of their product metrics roll up into the business. What have you done to help streamline that communication, or what would be your advice to help product teams see how their how their stuff relates to a bigger picture? What should they do to find that out?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. I know. I think it's a very hard thing, and I think we are still maturing in that space. But personally, what I've seen and I've done myself, and I think I've worked well, is really think about you know when we. And I think we all have some level of metrics and measurements, whether it's we call OKRs or KPIs or anything. So so, but regardless, I focus on two types of OKPIs: one more outcome focused and one more output focused. I think historically. For a large team who have not operated in a very product way, like I think in general, you'll see more output focused KPIs. Okay, I think it's that's totally fine, totally appropriate. I think that's where it struggles. Like, okay, so you have an output focused team that's very much focused on building those things, and it's very, very hard to reconcile with somebody asking for outcome at a very higher level. It's very, very hard. So I, I look at that kind of in a much more kind of a stacked structure, but with a mix. What I mean by that is, at a leadership level where you have a little more control over the outcome in a meaningful way that we already have launched because sometimes it depends on the outcome sometimes the outcome is you've got to have a product in the market before you can actually really drive outcome uh, right so you, you can't have that for a team that's working for the next quarter because they're, they're just focused on launching something and i think they will not really drive outcome so having that view that we're at a more senior leadership level we have more outcome focused view at an individual team level, depending upon what the team is working on, there may be a, ideally a combination of output and outcome driven. If it's a more of a platform team or a uh, infrastructure team, their outcomes would be different, right? versus like a team that's focused on driving conversion or growth or things. So I think it's very important to kind of contextualize these things in a way that actually makes sense. And if we have a team that has KPIs that they can't really impact and drive, it's kind of meaningless. It's, it's very, very hard to do much with that and generally doesn't kind of count too much. So it's, it's more thinking. And I think, again, uh, in most places, this is a space that we all need to be matured in thinking and really thinking about how to think about what metrics to choose, what not to choose, and, and not just choose, like, actually, how to... Include those in our weekly or quarterly reviews and processes, where it actually means something. Where you're actually going through a strategy discussion, and then you're combining that with the metric discussion to kind of really have those kind of discussions together. So it's, it's a hard journey. I don't have a perfect answer, but I think what I've seen is kind of really thinking a combination of outcome and output. And in some teams, I focused a little more on output, based on what they are focused on, and also by time, like for a quarter. If they're focused on just building, it's very hard for them to drive an outcome. But versus, let's say, for a growth team or a conversion team, it's easier for them to actually drive outcomes in a quarter because they're focused more on those things. So it's kind of really contextualizing this thing and then make it relevant for the particular team that's essential.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I try to tell, I think what happened to, I've observed this over the last 10 years is that we went, oh, no outputs. We're only going to do outcomes, right? So everybody was like, over the outcomes. And then they forgot, like, you actually do have to deliver stuff if you're on a product team. So it's like, we can't just dance around the fact that and not talk about outputs at all. Like, you do have to talk about outputs. But the point is, you know, figure out what you're actually going to build first and then talk about the outputs and how that's going to do the outcomes and do the research in it. But yeah, I think you're right. It's like this, it needs this, you know, this mesh of both of them. It can't just be one. But that's, a, that's yeah. a great way to think about it, how you were explaining what the leadership's on the outcomes and on the teams we're we're getting into the outputs as well. So another good question for you, and I'm sure a lot of people are out there thinking about this. So you work in a software-enabled company, technically, right? Like Fidelity yeah. doesn't technically sell software, but software is a critical part of what you do. In many organizations going through the transformations, they're having a really hard time thinking about what a product is. So when you're thinking about, you know, products, how how are you thinking about how all of your financial products and your software products come together? I'm just gonna throw out the question, like what is a product to you? How would you describe it to somebody in the context of a software-enabled company?
0: It's a great question. I think I think that's something you know I have seen internally, externally, it, it's not an easy thing when you talk about product, like what is a product and all. But I would say I think you know, we're already in two thousand twenty-three. I think we're in financial services. I think I can't think of any product and services we offer or our industry offers that is not offered through technology. Like, it's okay. Like there are different industries. Like let's say you are doing waste management. I mean, you may have actually a truck going, but like in our industry, no matter what, either we're offering our products and services through tech or through our people who are actually using the tech to offer the same products and services. So it's very, I think our industry is definitely heavy focused in that particular way. But I would say historically, a long time ago, when we talk about products, generally people think about financial products. Like, are you offering a particular ETF or fund or brokerage or these kind of things? I think in today's world, the way when I say product, I generally normally kind of really contextualize that. But I think definitely we're talking more about digital and software kind of products in that particular way. But but I. I kind of categorize them into four or five categories. And that's how I explain internally as well. So one is more financial products where tech is a piece of it. It's a big piece of it. But when you're trying to really drive impact and outcome, you're trying to drive customer adoption, people's financial outcomes and how actually it's helping them to save or invest or grow their portfolio and things like that. And tech is a big component of that. So the product leaders who are playing in that space they have to think about all these things, not just tech. They also think about those aspects. And then I think about uh, digital experience products, where it's either you know the primary focus and motivation is actually building digital experiences. And the financial part is a piece of it, like building experiences, enhancing and maturing, whether it's through web or through phones and all. So like that requires some skill set where you have heavily UX and design and those kind of things focused. And then third, I call like platform products. Uh, where you're building typically internal platforms, it could be external too, but like internal platforms, whether it is a backend platform a data platform a i platform or things where you you know it's a platform, the consumers are either internal users, it could be technical users or other product teams or the different users like that's a different type of products right and then we have other products that are much more focused on. I would say solving operational servicing or those kind of pain points or either external or internal. So I think these are different categories. And I try to connect the general product terminology into our own work. This is why it's important to actually contextualize within how we do things. And you know, within my business, we may do, do things very differently than the healthcare team or somewhere else. But it's important to actually contextualize this. And once you can contextualize, I'll tell you that's instant credibility. Like you can actually connect the product terms and world into the business. Like you have instant credibility, and then okay, I get it now. I get it now, and then things. It's easy to actually move from there.
1: Yeah, I think context is king here, and that that's really a good point. I've seen people try to describe, you know, for for companies that are software enabled, use more like Amazon's or Google's as a example of how to do things, and you see the rest of the business just shut down because they're like we're not them. We're not them. And it's true. They aren't them. So they don't understand how it translates to, you know, your own world. So that context is so important. And when you're working, you know, so as, as the software product leader around this area, how are you plugging in the more like financial product people, like the ones who are going, Hey, should we offer this new like 401k investment? Right. The one who's actually like figuring out what's in the portfolio. Should we offer this? What, like, how do they work with the software teams? Where's that like give and take there?
0: Yeah. So I think I would say, so we have, uh, so when I say in our product, the way I structure across the company, we have, some of my peers are actually having those financial products. I do actually, I also have portfolio of financial products with my own team. So yeah. I think, yeah, so I do. So I actually have a broad portfolio. So I actually have financial products. Now in, in those products, it's like there is definitely more general management aspect. So I think again, like, so the skills of the PMs who are operating in that space have more GM centric and really driving adoption, conversion, go to market approach, and those kind of things. And that's the primary skill set. And they're not as focused on building software per se. So it's a combination. So I have a combination team. Some are very software focused. Some are more, you know, I think in industry terms, we may call them a growth PM or similar kind of a role, but they're definitely focused on more. General management aspect. So personally, I, I do think, you know, we we do have infrastructure in play in understanding those needs and really, it's like as a per, I have to look at business outcomes there in a much more critical path on what is the value we're driving, uh, how many customers are we getting, how do we package, how do we bundle, how do we price, and those things come into play. So so it's kind of a mixture, but they are generally within our product organization. It's just that. Some people are heavily focused on that in those teams. They will still have software product managers and others who are kind of really making sure the payment and tool and those things work. But then the product leaders are focused more broadly on not just the software part, they're also kind of selling and servicing the products in the marketplace.
1: Oh, that's so important. That's like also music to my ears. I'm so happy to hear that Um, because I think that's so critical that you bring those things together and make them work together. And I see. So many companies keep them very, very separate, and then it becomes a territory war over like who's leading. Why. Is it? The software people? Is it the business people? And they're also not thinking about what are we actually doing for the customer at the end of the day here. Like, how do we all achieve these these gains? And it's not just about like can somebody click through my workflow. It's about can somebody you know get the financial independence they were looking for, <laughs> which is welcome.
0: Yeah. I've heard you actually you speak a lot, and I'm also pretty passionate about this. Like. In my space, uh, but also I believe that the the product, kind of let's say, strategy management and those aspects, and the product development aspects of actually writing your epics and stories and jira, but all that, they all need to be part of one person's role. They are separate, and that's how we do things. And that's how all my teams are. That's how a company is. Like they're one. Like I, I don't like this product manager, product owner, and these kind of things. Like no. Like, so if one person who is responsible... Now, in particular roles, somebody may have a more of an over-indexed on the, more the PM side of the equation versus just the development side. But I, I think of them as one role where you have much more end-to-end ownership and accountability. Just that based on the situation, you may be focused a little bit more on one side of the skill set versus others. And that will evolve over time as the product matures and scales. But I do strongly believe that just one role that includes everything together.
1: I agree. I totally love that. So you mentioned this before too, <laughs> how you started with this transformation. Uh, another thing I see a lot of companies do is kind of just put on their roadmap, like we're going to do the product transformation this year. Boom, <laughs> timeline. <laughs> how long should people expect to start seeing like the fruits of their labor doing a product organization change like this? Like, what's a time frame? What's a normal time frame for this stuff? What do you think?
0: Yeah, I I would say uh definitely it's a long game. Like so any kind of these kind of transformation, it's a long game. You can call it so it's a long game because it's like we're talking about talent structure, culture, ways of doing things and process. So I think anytime you force fit in a particular time frame, it just becomes too much. I've seen I think like three four years is actually a pretty good time frame in my view it takes that long to actually like the things that we're talking about in you know, the four years ago these things will be like okay what what is this Why are we doing this? like now that's kind of a given we don't talk about these things so like this is this is no longer a new thing this is this is how we do things so it's it's the conversation is more on other things, so I think we've kind of gone past those things now in in many areas now obviously there's always. There are always things to mature, I think, in the PM leadership space. We're kind of optimizing and maturing in some areas where you need to mature. But I do think, I've not seen anything where you get to a maturity stage in less than a few years.
1: That's good to hear. (laughs) It's definitely a long game. I haven't seen anybody do this in a shorter amount of time either. But especially a large organization, you're steering a huge cruise ship towards a different target.
0: Yeah, totally, totally, yeah.
1: Well I could spend all day talking to you about this and this has been really fun but I know we're running out of time so Deba if anybody wants to connect with you or learn more about you know your work and what you do where can they find you
0: Yeah no same first of all thank you so much for inviting me uh, I could talk about this all day uh, every every day right so uh, I would say for me I'm I'm very much available on LinkedIn um and I can post my LinkedIn uh, kind of profile there I do write some articles on Forbes Council, uh, so, I, so I put it out there too. But like LinkedIn is the primary place to connect with me. I'm, I'm very actively involved in the product community. Actually, I love to give back and teach. I do a lot of teaching with and, and product managers across the board. Uh, so I'm always available in coaching, teaching, and mentoring uh, because I, I fundamentally I'm very passionate about really elevating the role of product and product leaders across our industry.
1: Thank you so much for all that work that you do too. I think that's so important for people to learn from product leaders like you. We'll link to your LinkedIn in the notes for this podcast as well. But for those of you out there listening, if you enjoyed this podcast, please click subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And we'll be back next week with another Dear Melissa on Wednesday. And we will see you then.
0: Awesome. Thank you all.